From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to another edition of Hand Raise Guys, presented by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. I'm Neil McCready. Today on the show, uh, both Chase Parham and I have uh, different interviews with two different guests. Uh, Chris Malloy, the Ole Miss men's golf coach, joins Chase, uh, talks about a number of things, including uh, the Rebels qualifying for the national championships in Arizona after a successful uh, tournament in Norman, Oklahoma, over the course of this week. And then I talk uh, the latest in SEC theater football with uh, Braden Gall of ESPN Radio based out of Nashville. Uh, Kind enough to give me about 40 minutes of his time. He's great. Talk about all the Nick Saban stuff yesterday with Jimbo Fisher, which is still uh, hard to believe that actually happened. Uh, The league has put put the kibosh on interviews involving head coaches for a minute. I suspect until everyone gets to Destin and – Greg Sankey can have a word, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about his thoughts on the SEC football schedule, his thoughts on the Rebels, the SEC West, and some other things uh, with him today. Uh, Again, before we get into all that, I want to tell you about Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. It's getting hot outside, starting to get um, that summer weather. You want to make sure that your air conditioner is ready to roll, that you've got your uh, cooling and everything uh, in place, your Freon and all that. If you live in the Oxford, Tupelo, surrounding area, get in touch with Comer, 662-801-1777. If you live in Memphis, uh, DeSoto County, you know Hernando, South Haven, that area, get in touch with the people at Southern Air Conditioning and Heating, 662-429-4429. Service is incredible. Um, Eric Payne and all the people at Comer and Southern have been great for me and my family over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so that we've been using them, maybe longer than that. And they'll take care of you as well. So if you uh, have any questions, if you know you're going to need heating and uh, and AC work, new units, that kind of thing, you need to get in touch with those guys today. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He will send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. Get your quote, the rest, completely up to you. You can shop that quote around or you can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. 662-257-1900. Braden Gall, Chris Malloy, all guests join on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters Music and Food on the Square in Oxford. Great place to grab a burger, a po'boy, an appetizer. Uh, they've got a great beer selection, full bar and more. If you're in town for uh, Ole Miss Baseball, this weekend or just in town in general, want to get out of the heat for a minute, stop at Rafters. Tell uh, Hudson and the people there that uh, you heard about him here on the podcast. We'd appreciate that as well. So uh, Ole Miss softball plays in the NCAA tournament tonight. That game can be seen on ESPN+. Plus. In other words, it's streaming. Get started at 6.30 Central Time. Ole Miss plays uh, Loyola Marymount in the UCLA regional. So um, good luck to the Rebels as they get started with their NCAA tournament. Uh, what they, I'm sure they hope is a run. 
So um, that game again, 6.30, you can watch it on ESPN+. Plus. Another game that will be on ESPN Plus is uh, Ole Miss Baseball. The Rebels coming off of a 10-5 to loss on Thursday night to Texas A&M. Uh, they play tonight at 7 in Oxford. Uh, there's a story at rebelgrove.com. Chase has the latest from last night and then also a story on um, Hunter Elliott and making a critical start for him, uh, the, the freshman for Ole Miss. Looking around the SEC uh, last night, Auburn and Kentucky – were uh, rained out. They're playing a doubleheader today, I believe, starting at 1 o'clock on uh, SEC+. Plus. So uh, the Tigers, the Wildcats, are going to play two today. Uh, Missouri upset Georgia yesterday. Big loss for Georgia as they're trying to work on hosting and that kind of thing. Missouri's just been kind of this scrappy team. They're 9-19 and in the SEC, but they clearly haven't quit. They beat Georgia 11-3. to Tennessee improved to 23 and 5 in the league with a 27 to 2 27 to 2 how about that for a scoreline box score i should say 27 runs on 25 hits tennessee mississippi state two runs on five hits at one point that game was like 20 to nothing tennessee now 47 and 7 overall 23 and 5 in the sec mississippi state in real danger of not even qualifying for Hoover. They're 9-19 and 19 in the SEC, 26-28 and 28 overall. Uh, Florida uh, got a big win last night over South Carolina in Gainesville, 14-5. The Gators beat the Gamecocks. South Carolina now 12-16 in the league. Florida improves to 14-14 and 14 in the league. Uh, pretty much eliminates any doubt about making the NCAA tournament at this point. Florida going to be a Difficult number two seed for somebody in the um, NCAA tournament. Arkansas went to Tuscaloosa uh, on uh, Thursday, win game one of that series, seven to three for the Hogs, seven runs on eight hits. Alabama had 10 hits, but they committed a critical error, and um, Arkansas gets the win there. They stay with Texas A&M atop the SEC West at 18 and 10. Big win for the Hogs as they try to get a regional um, locked up in Fayetteville. Pretty big loss for Alabama as they're trying to win enough to not only get to Hoover, but I think they've maintained some outside hope of getting to the NCAA tournament, that beginning to wither away. Alabama now 10-17 and 17 in the SEC. They'll play game two tonight in Tuscaloosa. We mentioned the Ole Miss-Texas uh, A&M score. Ole Miss had two errors last night, five runs on eight hits. Texas A&M, 14 hits, including uh, resulting in 10 runs Ole Miss uh, had an altercation late in that game. You've read about it at rebelgrove.com. Mike Bianco suspended from tonight's game because of that. Uh, and a bit of a surprise here. LSU coming off the sweep uh, at the hands of Ole Miss. LSU goes to Vanderbilt, who had just come off of a series win against Arkansas. LSU hammers the Commodores 13-2. to LSU uh, 16 hits. Old Vanderbilt just to two runs, so a 13-2 to uh, win. Big night for uh, Cruz, the very talented center fielder for LSU. So LSU now 15-13 and 13 in the SEC. Vanderbilt 14-14. and 14. Um, Both of those teams, again, a lot like um, Florida, going to be very difficult number two seeds for somebody in the, um, in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, the big news yesterday was uh, football. Jimbo Fisher responding quite passionately to Nick Saban's 
comments on Wednesday night regarding Texas A&M and um, buying, his words, the entire uh, signing class. Jimbo Fisher was not happy with those comments. He pushed back quite forcefully. You've probably seen it by now. It's been everywhere. If you haven't seen that, find Jimbo Fisher's press conference from yesterday and watch it. I'm still stunned that it happened in some ways. Um, In other ways, not so surprised. Those two have been kind of going at each other for a while. That relationship has never been as uh, cordial as maybe it's been portrayed to be. Jimbo Fisher beat Nick Saban last year on the field. Uh, Crushed him in recruiting. So it's a lot that happened with those comments. Both got a public reprimand. That'll stop it. Both got a public reprimand from Greg Sankey, who generally said, hey, there's nothing I can do here. Uh, Lane Kiffin, Eli Drinkwitz, some others. Saw Hunter Juracek, the Arkansas AD on Twitter. A lot of people had fun with it. It's going to make for uh, quite a tense spring meetings in uh, in Destin here in about a week and a half. So talked about uh, talked about those things with uh, Braden Gall of ESPN Radio, Athlon Sports, uh, earlier this morning. I think you guys will enjoy this interview. So here's Braden Gall on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Braden Gall of ESPN Radio, Athlon Sports, 440 Sports. Got a lot of stuff going on, but you've heard his voice around. Uh, knows the SEC as well as anybody does a, 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 an SEC podcast that I'm going to get him to plug here in just a minute where they had Sam Pittman on the other day. Probably thought at the time, hey, it's pretty cool. We got the Arkansas coach on, and then a day and then a day later, it's like all hell breaks loose in the SEC, and Sam Pittman once again goes into a, I guess, into obscurity. He probably doesn't mind at this point. Yeah, no, that's exactly. It. He just keeps his head down and keep keeps working. So yeah, good to be here, man. Good to see you. Um, first of all, tell people how they can get that SEC podcast because obviously our listeners can't get enough SEC football, especially as it's become days of our lives. Yeah, no, yeah, no question. Uh, Fringe Element is the name of the podcast. It's kind of a weird name, but uh, that's sort of what we are down here in the South. Like we've just every fan base has that that little extra that little extra juice on the edges, uh, you know, the extremes of fan bases. So Fringe Element podcast. Myself, Aaron Tugan, she worked at an SEC school for about ten years uh, behind the scenes and has a lot of great stories and insight. And um, I, I love the league. I'm a grad, and so it's just. When when I uh, got to go out and kind of do my own thing, I the, I was never not going to cover the SEC, and so uh, we like to think we do it a little differently than everybody else. It's not for everyone. We talk a lot of music and barbecue and you know culture along with you know SEC football, but um, we're we're proud of the show. You can check it out on the YouTube page, 440 Sports. You can also uh, get it everywhere you get your podcast. So Fringe Element Podcast covering SEC football. There you go. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, 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 I've enjoyed it. Um, all right, I don't even know where to start with this. You and I were talking just briefly before we got rolling. <laughs> I want to vilify Nick Saban. I do, because he's the king, and we all like to shoot at the king. I mean, I, I desperately want to be Team Jimbo here. I, I, so badly, I want to run to Jimbo's side and plant my flag and go, let's go, but I can't because I, I, I've gone back. When it first happened, I just laughed. I laughed so hard that I had tears rolling down my face at Jimbo's just uh, just meltdown. 
And then I was, as the, as the day went on, actually, I was at my son's soccer practice in Tupelo and it was like an hour and a half. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to find this and I'm going to look at it objectively for a minute. And I found the full uh, video of, of Saban. It was at an event in Birmingham. It was emceed by, I think a mutual friend of ours, Jim Dunaway. And, um, I watched Saban's entire statement, not the part that got clipped for incendiary purposes. And hey, to whoever clipped it for incendiary purposes, good job. You did a great job because you you got it. (laughs) But when you watch the whole (laughs) when you watch the whole thing, he's talking about how this is what college sports is supposed to be, and this is what's happening with NIL. And it was right. Yeah. So I think the beauty of this is. I, like they agree with each other. Like they both, like they have the same exact stance on this stuff. And like, this is what makes it so awesome. Like, I love it so much. Like even Greg Sankey's like reprimand feels like <laughs> it's, it's not, it doesn't even feel real. He's just like, guys, keep it down, but, but don't really, <laughs> you know, like he's, yeah. this is a tension for his league. This is drama. This is building ratings for the Alabama A&M game. Like this is all good for the SEC. Um, they have to, I understand why publicly they need to be like, hey guys, let's stop challenging people to investigate each other. <laughs> like that's not normal. Well, they've been down that road before and, and that, that was a disaster. Dude, it's, uh, that's one of the, so I, I, I like you also agree that Saban's, again, back to, they just agree. Like Jimbo in his press conference said, through all the insults and the ranting and the raving, he was like, yeah, I think we need uniform laws <laughs> to govern it, name, image, and likeness. And that's all Saban is really saying. You cannot use the phrase bought every player on the team. Like you can't use that phrase. You have to know that that phrase is just going to incite violence and, you know, whatever. Um, I think Jimbo is feeling himself right now. And I don't have a problem with that either because he's, he beat Alabama, became the first assistant to win. He's beaten him in recruiting, which doesn't happen ever. Very, very rarely. Not just beat him, Brady, mauled him in recruiting. Yeah. yeah, Well, and and, and Saban's (laughs) not used to losing in recruiting. Saban, no. I mean, I was talking to someone who's kind of familiar with what's going on uh, in that state and at that program, and he said, hey, look, and I think Aaron, Aaron Suttle sort of wrote this a little bit in The Athletic. One of the things that's changed with Alabama is over the last, I don't know, it's been 10 years since they've been truly dominant, maybe more than that, 12 years that they've been just truly dominant. They bring guys in. They get anybody to come take a visit that they want. They bring them in. And they go, okay, so here's what we do. You buy into our program, and you do everything we tell you to do, the way we tell you to do it. You follow the process, and here is the, here's the NFL legacy that we've put together in a dozen years. Yep. And kids have always been like, yeah, that's awesome. And then they have great facilities, and they have great whatever. All, everything's great. They win championships and uh, you know all that stuff. But now what's happened is those same kids who used to go, hey, coach, I'm, I'm ready to commit. I, I want to make sure I reserve my spot. Those same kids now at the end of the conversation, at the end of the sales pitch, they go, um, yeah, coach, that sounds great. What about NIL? And, and he's frustrated with that because they've been behind for the, for the first time in a long time. They're behind on NIL. They're, they're, they're not where Texas A&M is. I see people say, well, they have a collective. 
they do have a collective, but it just got started. It's nowhere near as organized or as efficient as Texas A&M's collective. And or, so Tennessee, the, or Tennessee's. Or Tennessee's, or, yeah, or, tech, or University of Texas, or, yep. so, or USC's, obviously. So when, when, when those, now those same kids go to Texas A&M for the visit, Jimbo says, hey, look, we're, we're, we're doing all this. We're, we're going to put kids in the league. We're just getting started. We need you, but we have these wonderful facilities. There's tons of money, and the kid goes, yeah, it sounds great. What about NIL? It's a it, different answer. It's so like, I guess it's not even ironic. I guess it's just what we should have expected that literally all of this, it's, it's all the NCAA's fault. <laughs> like the, the fact that Jimbo Fisher was in a press conference calling Nick Saban, God and a narcissist, <laughs> uh, unprecedented, like somebody should slap him. Like this is unprecedented. I'm not going to take his phone calls. I'm not afraid of confrontation. It was unprecedented what he said, but like, really he didn't do anything wrong. Like in the recruiting world, he followed all the rules. I mean, it, you know that we that we know they of followed state law, right? Nick Saban's doing everything. I mean, th- this this is where I think like Nick had some fun on the microphone this week because it's not the only like the parody comment on the Fine Bomb show from earlier where he's like, "I'd like to get back to parody." And like in theory, everything he said on both of those those comments is actually true, and I probably agree with him that we need some regulation and uniformity over here on name, image, and likeness. And I would, God, I would kill for parity in college football across the country. I think it would be great for the sport. I think that's what we're all trying to find. But the irony of the guy who benefits the most from both of those things, potentially complaining about those things does sort of fall on deaf ears to some degree, because even the things he mentioned in the Feinbaum interview where he said, you know, like academic support and healthcare, And I'm like, yeah, you're at Alabama where you have more resources than basically every other program in America and you have more analysts and more waterfalls and more everything than anybody else. And the reason we don't have parity is because of that. And so I agree with his theory on that, but like he could out of the kindness of his heart, he could stop spending X amount of dollars in recruiting or facilities development or analysts. Like he could stop if he wanted to. And so the same thing with NIL, like it's, just like everything, this is a threat from Nick Saban that if you don't get it under control, I'm going to murder you with it. And that is what he's doing here. He did it with the spread offense. He's done it with the portal. He's Now he's going to do it with this. And so, again, like Saban's right. Jimbo's right. Nobody really did anything wrong here. I just think this is two egomaniacs faking outrage like that. <laughs> and, and Nick's actually been pretty calm, like even apologizing on Sirius XM later on on, on Thursday. I okay. like Kind yeah, exactly. Like these are this is just two paranoid schizophrenic egomaniacs that have to like defend themselves at all costs in their honor in front of the public. And like it's just it's it, to me, it was very performative from Jimbo. And I oh, I, mean, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I did too. I, I, <laughs> I'm here for the petty, Neil. I'm here for the petty. Well, it was petty for sure. <laughs> you know, I didn't, and maybe I I've known Jimbo for a while when I first got into the I guess my first real beat, or it was my beat, was the Auburn beat in 1998. And Jimbo was the quarterback's coach and ended up basically being the offensive coordinator because Terry Bowden quit. And so I got some time with Jimbo Fisher that fall and I kept up with him a little bit. When he was at LSU, I had some contact with him when I was in Mobile, obviously, uh, when they were recruiting Jamarcus Russell and all of that stuff. Um, <laughs> I didn't – it's interesting you said that about performative because – it did not strike me as performative yesterday. It struck me as I came in with something to say. And then as he started talking, the little, you know, we all have the two little voices on our shoulder, <laughs> the devil and the, and the angel. 
And it felt like the angel fell off. And the devil just said, hey, you're here. Say it. Say what? it. There was a lot of pent-up frustration yeah. at, at Nick Saban that came out. That didn't just happen Wednesday night. Something snapped on Thursday where he said, that's it. I'm done. And I, He didn't take his call. He says, we're done. I kind of – there was a few moments in there, and maybe this is just me sort of knowing the guy a little bit, not much, just a little bit, that went, that was genuine. He, he means this stuff. I think he and, – and he tends to – I think what's genuine about Jimbo is like the energy level and like the words per minute. Like if only his offense was as fast as his mouth, like it, they might be – challenging for the West this year. Um, but he, I, I agree with you that he, that's the guy he, that, that he is like, this is a guy that, you know, he's an avid outdoorsman who likes to hunt and he likes to talk fast. Like, and I think when he gets going, he just sort of like goes like as someone who talks a lot and my wife teaches me and tries to teach me to like, maybe don't use all those words all the time. Um, sometimes, especially men, we, we, we kind of forget we, we need to filter up sometimes. And I think Jimbo just gets going. And like you said, the, the, this little angel starts to fall off, and this guy gets big and strong over here on this side. <laughs> that, that he, the, the, the angel just said, "F it, go yeah, for it." Yeah, yeah. You're going to regret this, but he, he reached for the reached for the popcorn it's and just too started. Late now, yeah, he was just eating popcorn, watching the devil go to work. Um, <laughs> so I think there is history. There's obviously history. There's relationship. They know each other extremely well. It's also been building in the public for a couple of years now. It goes back to the golf comment. And then he made Nick Saban eat his words on that by beating him on the field, um, beat him in recruit. Like I, it's, it's just kind of building. And now they're like a the top challenger in the West now for the foreseeable future until Brian Kelly gets things going. Auburn certainly doesn't look like they're going to be recruiting at any point at that level in the next couple of years. You got to do it four or five years to try to compete with Nick Saban the way Kirby's done at Georgia. And it, he's sort of there. Fisher's close. He's, he's caught him a little bit now. Can he routinely beat him? Can he go into Tuscaloosa and win? Probably not. I, I think, first of all, like we can debate maybe the, the level of performative nature, but you have to admit, no one has ever called a press conference in a matter of hours because of a viral video. Like that's never been that's never been done before. No. I, I've never seen anything like it. I love that it happened. Like I said, I'm here for the petty. But if you if you if you take all the and, and to your point about, I think you were you were you were alluding to Hugh Freeze. I assume when you said, "Hey, it doesn't," and I totally agree with this. It normally doesn't work out well for people who sort of like challenge the media and the NCAA and other fans to like look into your program and say we're perfect. Like it, like no matter who you are, that normally doesn't work out well for you. So I'd be careful if I was Jimbo when I when I say things like, "We've done nothing wrong. We've never done anything wrong. We're totally fine." That a lot of times that comes back to bite yeah. you um we all, right like we all know better you're in right. the fcc i mean and no, and nobody's everybody's, right. everybody's got skeletons yes and the and the and of course the irony of nick saban saying we've never paid for anybody at the program that's been on probation more than anybody else in the history of college football i said this on my podcast you know. yesterday Braden. and this is a saban thing this this goes way back with saban saban is insistent on plausible deniability oh yeah to the point of it being ridiculous like you want to go yeah i get it man you don't specifically know but you know <laughs> right right we all know how the system works there's a guy in there, there's a guy that covers every territory in your region and when someone needs a new engine for their tractor a new engine for their tractor shows up like it's not this is not like this is not new stuff this has been a hundred years of this um and again 
of uh, I find it funny. Again, I don't think it, any. This is what's again. None of this is a big deal to me. I don't think there's any actual big deal here from a substance standpoint, other than name, image, and likeness is sort of a runaway train, and we need to get it under control to some degree. I think that's a fair point. Again, Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban agree on this. <laughs> and I'll get, I'm going to get back to that in a second. I, I, I'm with you on this. I told someone in the league yesterday, so this is good for the league. Yes. And they were yes. like, how so? And I said, oh, come on. What are we talking this, about? I mean, look at this. This was yesterday was game two of the Eastern Conference Finals in the NBA. It Nobody was, cares. It was the day after uh, game one between, you know, kind of a sexy series, Dallas and Golden State. You've got the NHL playoffs. The NBA draft lottery just happened. There's NFL teams at, at training camps. PGA it, championship with yeah, yeah, Tiger P- and Phil not there. Like, yeah, I mean, the PGA champion Tulsa, it, it, there's there's a lot of stuff going on. And what are we talking about? We're talking about college football. And specifically, we're talking about SEC college football, yep. where we're saying, hey, you know how you guys did that, it just means more thing? This is like literally the proof that it it means more. It might mean kind of insanity, but it means more. And everybody's talking about it, and the national people are going, you know, those guys down in the South are insane. I mean, this, this deal is nuts. But, boy, they're talking about it. It's headline stuff. And I'm like, that's good for your league. I, I would have paid any amount of money to get Steve Sarkeesian and Brent Venables on a phone call last night and record it <laughs> and just be like, do y'all know what you're getting yourself into? Because <laughs> like, that's what it is right there. And like I said earlier, I think Sankey had to come out and say something like, hey, boys, play nice, like settle down. He had to say something, but don't tell me. That, that's, like, that's like me telling my four-year-old on, the so- on, on her first year of soccer when I have to pull her aside and be like, will you pass the ball, please? Like, I, I can't, you know what I mean? Like, she just, she just goes and scores all the goals. I'm humble bragging here on my four-year-old, by the way. It's good. She goes and she just scores, and then she runs up to me, and she's like, Dad, that's goal number six. And I'm like, dude, would you pass it to your teammate, please? <laughs> and it's like, so you have to kind of scold her, but then as soon as she walks away, you're kind of like fist pumping with your wife. You're like, gosh, she's freaking good. Yeah, like you're over oh, here like this. Like, that's what Sankey, I guarantee you, he says this stuff, and he's outward being, he has to be a certain way outwardly. And then he looks at his he looks at Chuck and Herb, and they all go. They're all like, "Let's go. Let's go check the bank account. Let's go." <laughs> let's go well, I mean, who's who's going to miss that game on October the eighth? Now, I mean, like, like Ole Miss plays uh, Vanderbilt in Nashville that day, and I was like, "Okay, well, so let's see this. They, this time? is now this is now officially <laughs> prime time. So Ole Miss Vanderbilt's got a real shot at eleven. If I'm through riding by four thirty. <laughs> I mean, I'm not missing. I'm not missing it. I mean, it's truly this is I mean, you know, we we do this about hype games. This will be the biggest hyped college football game in regular season game in a long time. And it's not out of the question that A&M is undefeated going into that game. That that's that's what would make it even better. Like if A&M loses a couple games like they always do and they're sitting there like I think it's. They'd probably, I think they, I think it's like week six or seven. I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's October eighth, right? Yeah, October eighth. Um, so they're that's like week five or six. So maybe they're four and zero, maybe they're five and zero. If that's the case, like I'm, I'm running promos right now on the fine bump. Like I'm running promos on every ESPN platform for the the kickoff time, and I'm putting the say, I'm putting Saban and Fisher on their heads up there, and I'm putting the the field goal that ended the game last year, and the rushing the field, and Zach Calzada, and I'm. You know, Bryce Young, I'm putting everything into a promo, and I'm hammering that thing right now in May. Yeah, ESPN game day is like October 8th, Tuscaloosa. Done. I mean, Done. You, you know you're there. I mean, it's 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 one of the – and that's good for the league when everybody watches at a time when, you know, Pete Thamel just came out with the story that I thought had some strong hints 
that, hey, the Pac-12 is going to break up and teams are going to look around. And, you know, ESPN, Disney has said, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll make more pie for the right, for the right people. And, you know, I mean, I, I've said for a while, I just look over there and go, USC makes sense. That's the rumor. The rumor doesn't go away. It makes sense. Um, I, 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 it's kind of a perfect storm for the league to have it like this where you, you're, you're fast becoming the mini NFL. And, you know, the NFL has off-season drama. That's one of the things that we like about the NFL. And, you know, in some of the stuff that happens in the NFL, you can't do it in college. You can't do trades or free agency or whatever. But you can have drama, and here it is. Well, and Jack Swarbrick said this, of course, like we're headed towards a split from the NCAA for college football. The only way we can manage all this stuff, and actually the parody Nick Saban's talking about, really the only way you can create that is if you have sort of a singular governing body. I know Gene Smith, the athletic director at Ohio State, mentioned that the college football playoff could be in charge. That also hurts my mind. <laughs> Just like we, <laughs> this is like giving the bowl games your golfing buddies, like access to the best inventory and in, in real estate in your sport. Like, hey, make billions of dollars off us for no other reason other than I play golf with you. Like, I don't understand bowl games being involved in our playoff, but that's just me. I'm with you. Uh, like, but this is NFC, AFC. Like, we're going to have the Big Ten as the NFC that's going to be like 30 teams. And then you're going to have the SEC that's going to be the AFC, and it's going to have like 30 teams. And it'll be. Do you think, North- the, you think the numbers are going to be that high? I, I think. I think there's two there's two possibilities, right? Okay. Um, the, I'm with the, you totally on NFC, AFC. I, yeah. I completely agree. The possibility is to me, you've got like these sixty five, these four sixteen team superpower deals or whatever, and maybe two of them are this and two of them are that. Because um, I to your to your point about the Pac-12, like the ACC, those are the teams that the Big Ten wants. The Big Ten wants North Carolina, Virginia Tech. You know, they want those schools. The SEC does, too. And if you could all of a sudden have a, a, a you know, Florida State, Clemson, Miami, those are valuable commodities as well. Uh, if if you can take Oregon, UCLA, USC, Stanford, probably um, Washington, like there's some really good equitable programs out in the West Coast. And then just sort of you just got a top half of the com- country and a bottom half of the country. And let's lean into the, like the whole Mason Dixon line north south thing like. Let's lean into the identity of it all. Like, let's you you want to add drama to it? Let's make it a north south football thing. Like, that's great. Like for me, again, as as just an objective observer, um, I don't think so you're far I, off. I, 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 I think there's NFC, AFC. There's north south. It's kind of is going to be somewhat natural. I just I have this feeling, and I've told some people this that there are programs that are just going to get left in the cold. They're they're you know like Kansas State comes to yeah. mind. Yeah, as an example, where Oregon State, you know, yeah, I just Washington yeah. State. I just don't think you're going to be what you once were. You're not going to be a power five anymore. You're going to play at a kind of a lower level and is what it is. I, I, I am hopeful that the that, that it's more of like a 60, 65, 70 team breakaway, because, again, a lot of those schools still have uh, academic budgets that match. Right. They don't have football budgets that match, but they have academic budgets that match. And that can maybe that might be able to keep them involved. Um, but there, it absolutely could be a, the sales could be trimmed a little bit on that. And it could be like 20 teams in the North and 20 teams in the South. And we've got a 40 team league and we've sort of trimmed out the bottoms. The problem with that is that you've already got these teams that are in the SEC and big 10 that would be included in that, that would be quote unquote worse than some of the programs that might get left out. Like you mentioned, Kansas state, Kansas state's a pretty good football program. Of course. Way better than Rutgers, Northwestern, Vanderbilt, you know, like that's a, it's a better program than those schools. And so you don't, 
Iowa State's another one. It's it's just a Jack Trice Stadium is wildly underrated for how good of an atmosphere that is. Like I, I'd like to see a little bit more inclusive if there is going to be a breakaway. So I, I think there's a, a path for like a 40 team breakaway and a path for like a 60 or 70 team breakaway. And I'm hopeful we go with the bigger model. But I mean, at this point, it, it's total chaos across the country. And we'll, uh, we're, we're college football is going to look very different in about 10 years for sure. Yeah. I, this, this whole waving the 25 thing that's been a, you know, a rule forever, you know, 25 in, an initial grants and aid in a year that that's out the window now. And I talked to someone college football who said, Hey man, these next two years are going to be insane. I mean, I'm like, what do you mean insane? It's already insane. He goes, no, no more insane. It's going to be crazy. It's it's going to be, it's going to be chaos. If, if any one of these stories like playoff expansion, Texas and Oklahoma leaving portal name, image, and likeness, like if any one of these things had happened in like June of any year, it would have been the biggest story in college football for that year. And we did it all in like six months. Yeah. <laughs> like we, like I just, just the playoff, the playoff invention took 15 years, you know, like it, it's all happened way faster than we're used to. And I think it's good for fans. It's good. It's great for media, <laughs> but I, it's not as good for the decision makers, but guess what? They sort of made this bed. Um, they, they Sankey did not, but you know, the, the NCAA had chances to do all this stuff, to manage all this stuff and to solve all these problems. And they just, they just did nothing. So I, there were opportunities to to get ahead of all this stuff. And this is what happens when you're a completely inept, opaque, and inconsistent organization. So this leads into my question that I have because Nick Saban calls for, you know, federal reach. Uh, so does, so does uh, Jimbo Fisher. Uh, everybody wants that. How do you do that? I, I keep having people say, hey, this is not sustainable. This has to be, this has to be controlled. How do you do it? I mean, it, it's, well, this goes right back to the breakaway. Like, if you've got like for, right now, if there's no breakaway from the NCAA, it's going to happen on the conference level. It's going to have to happen on the conference level, where where Greg Sankey says, "All right, if you go to an SEC school, you get fifty thousand dollars a year. That's it. Like done. You get a salary. Here is the salary for every football player in the SEC. Because you don't want to turn them into employees. Frankly, if I'm an athlete, I'm not sure I want to be an employee either, where I'm taxed and can be fired in any any moment." Um, so I think other than like a big 10 sec breakaway where we're doing the NFC, AFC, North, South, sort of like, like when they actually, then they can form their own autonomy and their own rules and their own regulations that can be uniform, like scheduling and all this other stuff that can all become one thing and it can be governed by a singular office and maybe even a, a, a person, but at, at right now in the near future, it's gotta be done by the conference commissioners. Like you can't, there's no one else that has power enough and this goes right back to covid like each conference had to just like they had to operate as like their own little entity to to manage and each league did it differently and with to varying levels of success and and that that's where we're at with this like uh, again if <laughs> if you know how nick saban handles this stuff he is telling you i don't really think this is great for the game but if we're gonna do it i am going to beat all of you at, at this game and it, he's done it every step of his career and he'll do it with this too, unless the SEC steps in and says, "Here's what here's what the the NIL rules are for us." And that I wouldn't be surprised if that happens because Sankey is generally pretty forward thinking, progressive, likes to be ahead of things, and, and doesn't mind, you know, doing big things that that sort of upset some folks around the country. And him putting in a rule that says every every athlete that plays football in the SEC makes fifty grand a year on top of cost of attendance and all the other stuff we offer our athletes, 
that that would piss off a lot of people in college football. But you know, it would it would, sol- it would solve all these problems in the SEC. So uh, that's th- that that in some way, shape, or form, we're headed towards a singular governing body. What that looks like five years from now, ten years from now, twenty five years from now, I, I'm not sure yet. What do you expect this fall? I mean, everyone talks about this particular Alabama team being maybe one of Saban's best. It's a veteran team. Heisman winning quarterbacks back. Probably the best defensive player in the country is well, certainly the best defensive player in the country. He's back. Um, it's a loaded roster. They're they're certainly going to be motivated at at this point. Um, can anybody knock Alabama off in the West this year? I, I think going undefeated in general is very very difficult. Um, so the answer is absolutely somebody can beat them. I mean, Ole Miss fans know all about this. Um, I, I think part of why we're hearing Nick Saban say all the things he said this week and kind of all offseason is because he loves his team. L- yeah. Last year, have you ever seen, have you ever heard a more polite and cordial and like delicate Nick Saban than last year with this team where he knew they weren't as mentally tough, some younger players in key positions, and, and <laughs> they still win the SEC championship, of course. But like he coached them very lightly, I would say. Yeah, I, I think we're and I. It's funny you mentioned Aaron um, Suttles from the Athletic. I had him on the, the show a couple of weeks ago. Um, Fringe Element podcast, right? Where you subscribe, and he basically predicted this. He said, "I think this team, because it's more veteran, they've got they're more mentally tough. That we're going to see more Nick Saban meltdowns." And I was like, "Yes, all right, this is going to be fun for everybody." <laughs> yeah, and, sh- and sure enough, like these haven't been like meltdowns where he's at the podium like screaming rat poison at people, but these. These are clearly moments where Nick Saban feels pretty confident and comfortable in saying what he says, even if we he knows we're going to criticize him for it. And I think it's because he's extreme. This is the the biggest point that everyone's missed. I think this week, he loves his 2022 team. He loves it, and I think he should. They're they're the number one team in the nation. When our Athlon Sports magazine comes out here in a week or two, I I'm pretty sure they're going to be number one in our magazine. Uh, I they're the number one betting favorites. I think Georgia's got an easier path to the SEC championship game. I think their schedule's much easier. Yeah. I, and I think they're going to play again. And I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia beat them in Atlanta. But if they got the, if if they played again in the playoff like they did last year and they rematch, I'm I'm taking Bama and Bryce Young and Will Anderson and Nick Saban. And I think the defense is going to be one of the best. So I, I don't know, man. It's <laughs> I, I'm with you. I think Bama's going to be awfully dangerous generally when they lose in big games they come back the next year on a on a war path and and march and march to the atlantic <laughs> so. you know everybody's in love with a&m and 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 they're certainly talented i mean there's tons of talent on that team but we don't know what their quarterback situation is at all and i don't really know what i expect from them they have to go to tuscaloosa the the, the two teams in the west that intrigue me from like a betting standpoint in large part because they get alabama at their place is, is ole miss and and then to a lesser degree, Arkansas. Ole Miss has a load of talent. Now they have a big question mark at, at quarterback. Yeah. Um, Arkansas's got their quarterback back. It just depends on what you think about KJ Jefferson. But um, you know, they're gonna be a they, they should be a very good offensive team. They lose Traylon Burks, but they've replaced him with some some guys. They have all their running backs back, all that stuff. And and I think they have a deficiency at defensive line that, that scares me with them in, in terms of you know handling in Alabama or whatever. But if it's not I guess your sure, general thoughts about the rest of the West. You, you talked I, about I, Auburn earlier. What I, I, lo- I love the West this year. Um, I think I like Arkansas for a lot of reasons you laid out. Four offensive linemen coming back. I like KJ Jefferson. 
kept his coaching staff intact. One of the few in the conference that kept his entire coaching staff intact. I just think they, they've bought into what he's selling and it's, a, it's sort of an old school, just straight up ball coach kind of deal. And I think that's, um, un, I think that's a new way or maybe an older way that we're going back to We're we're hiring, I think fewer and fewer like press conference coaches and more and more just like ball coaches. And even though Lane like gets all this publicity and hype because he likes to tweet and all this stuff, like you, you're the one who's told me like he's just not. He's pretty much a ball coach when you get him away from the cameras. Like he's kind of just a guy, and so I don't. And I mean that in a good way. Like I yeah. think he's. Uh, so I, uh, Mississippi he's, he's State. Not, he's not in person the guy that you see on Twitter. Right. Right. Mississippi State has more starters coming back than anybody in all the Power Five football in the entire country. A guy that would have the single season SEC passing record if not for Joe Burrow and Bryce Young. And Mike Leach has got whatever, like 150 wins. Like this is a guy who knows what he's doing and uh, loves living in the middle of nowhere. But, you know, Lubbock and Pullman and now Starkville. And so he's he's that team's going to be super dangerous. Their schedule is a little bit more difficult. I think Ole Miss is going to get out to a really hot start, and then we're going to find out what they're made of in the back half of that schedule. Auburn's, I think LSU is going to be significantly better right away. I don't. I think they've got a plateau that Brian Kelly's going to have to sort of recruit to, to get above. Um, so I, I think you could argue LSU, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Arkansas at three through six in the West. I think you could put them literally in any order, and I would not argue with you. I think they're all between 18 and 30 nationally. Um, I think they're all pretty good. You know, you want to mix in Tennessee and Kentucky and Florida into that, into that group. And I think you've got the healthiest middle class in, 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 in modern sec history. I can't remember. You, you tell me a year where we went into the season and every single fan base was happy with their coach and and Auburn doesn't count because it's Auburn. So like take Auburn (laughs) off the table, but like literally the other 13 teams, every single fan base is coming into this season, like pretty happy about where they are. And that is very unusual for this conference. No, you're right. There's Outside of Auburn and the chaos that happened, everybody's feels pretty good about where yeah. they are, right? I mean, Ole Miss people, they're in love with Lane Kiffin. I mean, they love him. Just he can do no wrong. Um, I mean, I, I think he'd have to commit – he'd have to commit a felony on camera, and even then they might say, ah, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean – He could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue is what we're saying. <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably. They might say, well, you know – he. he he did feel threatened. I mean, I, I, he, I mean, he's um, he's he's kind of untouchable at a, at a because of the way that he's embraced the transfer portal and the way that he's kind of made Ole Miss as relevant as as he has made Ole Miss. And then they won last year. I mean, they went you know ten and two and and got to the Sugar Bowl where they lost to Baylor. But I mean, you offer Ole Miss fans another ten win season, and they're they're not going to ask questions. I, listen, I don't want to be a, a wet blanket here. I'm not going to pick them to win 10 games. I, I doubt you are either. either. I, but I, I've got them winning eight, seven I, or eight. I, I think an eight-win season, if they go eight and four with that schedule, especially in the back half, if they go eight and four, and I think that's possible. I think that's about right, seven, eight wins. I think it's actually a huge testament to where the program is to be able to have your best regular season in history, lose an NFL draft pick at quarterback, and – come back and still be good enough to win seven or eight games like to be in a rebuilding reloading whatever you want to call it type of year where like Tennessee fans would like commit crimes to get to eight and four and that would be considered like a huge positive for them for Ole Miss to look at seven and five or eight and four and think that that's a step back I actually think that's a a sign of growth that, that there's progress that the program overall 
it's you know it's like the stock market right like you're you're going to go up and then you come back down and you go up and then you come back down and you can but as long as it's trending upward long term the 401k is good right you know, that's probably that's probably a delicate sensitive topic right now for most people but like that's where Ole Miss is is you're just sort of in that all right this is a year that's not supposed to be one of our best years but if we can still be pretty good in a year that's not supposed to be great I think that's a huge sign for the program and the overall growth of the of the program so I, I would say the same thing about Arkansas. I'd say the same thing about Mississippi State, Kentucky. And again, this goes to how, how happy people are with their coaches. Like Kentucky just did the same thing. Ten wins, lost their coordinator, lost all kinds of players on defense. They're going to come back. And if they go nine and three after replacing a bunch of stuff, that's a huge sign that Mark Stoops has done a great job, which we all know he has. It's the first big game for Ole Miss that I've got circled is October 1st when Kentucky comes here. It's really should be – that if the football gods came down and said, I will give you one result as a hint, I'd say, give me the Kentucky score. Tell me what happened that day. Yeah, that's a, that is such that this is where I think the SEC beats every other conference. Everyone's always complaining about how top heavy. Oh, it's just Bama. It's just Bama. It's just Georgia. I'm like, no, Kentucky and Ole Miss would go into the Big Ten West or either division in the ACC and, and win eight or nine games. Just like they do in their, and that kind of game is so underrated. Like no one's going to circle Ole Miss, Kentucky, and be like, "Man, that's a huge one." Like nationally, that's not. But for us in this conference, the like that's the kind of game that decides how how you view a season. Like to your oh point, yeah, there's a couple of September games that 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 in the SEC that I think are are, are going to be litmus tests that I can't wait to watch. Like um, South Carolina at Arkansas, LSU at Mississippi State. Those are great games up front that. Are any of those four teams going to win a national championship? Of course not. Are they going to the playoffs? No. But those are really good games that the winner of those games, like whoever, you know, like if you're Arkansas, and I think they're going to beat Cincinnati. And then if they beat South Carolina in week two, well, they're kind of feeling themselves again. And, you know, Mississippi State, if they knock off LSU and Starkville in September, they're going to be like, hey, yeah. look, you guys, everybody's kind of counting us out. We're here. And and that'll be valid. And if LSU goes into Starkville and wins, you're like, Hey, Brian Kelly's a difference maker. See right away. There's, there's yep. momentum. And yep. yeah, if, if Ole Miss beats Kentucky, they're five and zero at that point. Um, they're going to beat Vanderbilt. They get Auburn. I think they got a real shot to beat Auburn at home. And all of a sudden you're seven and zero going to LSU. Yep. And it's like, Hey, look, yeah, the back half's tough, but we're undefeated. And who knows how much, you know, yeah. you have mo- momentum going. It's, it's, and on the flip side, if they were to lose to Kentucky or Kentucky comes in and beats Ole Miss, Kentucky goes, hey, look, we're we're here and we get Georgia I, at home in November. I, I think, it, first of all, I think that the, the conference itself, because of all this parity and how balanced and how healthy the middle class is, I do think that, that you probably need to bake in a loss for, ev- like for everybody. Maybe, maybe not Georgia and Bama take them out of it, but I think you probably just, if everyone thinks that they're going to be nine and three, I would just say you're probably eight and four. If everyone thinks they're six and six, you probably need to just go five and seven. If you think you're 10 and two, you're probably going to be nine and three. I just think there's so many good teams that people are going to lose games they're not supposed to. People are going to win games they're not supposed to. It is honestly, I think because the quarterback play is exceptional this year in this conference. It's not just Bama that has Bryce Young. It's I think quarterback play across the board is going to be really, really good. And the teams are really, really good. So I just think we're in for one of the most chaotic and interesting and fun you know, again, three, three through thirteen in this conference is going yeah. to is going to be genuinely fascinating, and I think anybody could beat anybody, and I think that's going to make for a heck of a season. I think it's going to be awesome, and if we're getting this kind of fireworks in May, just wait till wait till <laughs> till the fall, 
which brings me to one point about the saving stuff we didn't talk about. No, I, does any of this affect how we sit on in our stands and cheer for our team on Saturdays? No. Like, we're all going to sit in the same section, sing the same fight songs, wearing the same shirts, parking in the same parking lot, tailgating with the same food and our same friends. Like, it's not going to change any of our experiences on Saturday. So, folks, just sit back and enjoy it. Just enjoy it. I've kept you way too long, 30 seconds or less. Did the Titans window close on, on draft night, or are they still okay? I think Titans are pretty good. they got a really good roster. Um, you know, are, are they the favorite to win the AFC again? No. Uh, Buffalo's going to win the whole thing probably. But I think they're, 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 they're going to win the division. I think they're going to make the playoffs again. I, I believe in Mike Vrabel and that coaching staff. I've been at a lot of practices. They are a, like that. You talk about identity and culture and physicality. Like they are all of those things. Um, and they keep getting younger, better, cheaper, as they say, with players. So um, I, I think they're going to be re- I think they're going to be really good. 10-11 win team in the NFL, and I think they could make the playoffs for sure. I, I mean, I think they could do some damage in the playoffs. I don't think they get to the Super Bowl, but uh, I think they can be a very dangerous team this year again. I, as long as Brable and John Robinson are running things, I think they're going to be really good. Braden, you're great at what you do. I kept you way too long. I, I think I got carried away with how much I enjoyed the visit. So thanks, uh, thanks very much. If I can ever come on with you, you need me, feel free to holler. I'll, I'll be right there. Absolutely. Anytime, man. Always a pleasure. That's Braden Gall. Thanks, buddy. So while that was running, I've been uh, reading a story in The Athletic. My friend Andy Staples uh, wrote it. It's kind of a over the course of the regular season, I did a what he said, what he meant feature every Monday with uh, <clears throat> with Lane Kiffin, kind of breaking down his, his weekly press conference. And uh, Andy did basically transcribed all of Nick Saban's comments on Wednesday night in Birmingham. And there's so much more there than what he said about Texas A&M, than what he said about Jackson State. Some that he got wrong, but a lot of what he got right. And uh, it, it's it's kind of interesting where he – so much of what he said about NIL is the same, same things that we've been talking about. He's talking to the crowd out there, and he says, um, but I know the consequence is going to be difficult for the people who are spending tons of money to get players. And you read about them. You know who they are. I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. That's the part, the part about Texas A&M. He said we were second in recruiting last year. Texas A&M was first. A&M – Bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. We didn't buy one player, right? But I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. So it's tough, and people blame the NCAA. But in defense of the NCAA, we are where we are because of the litigation that the NCAA gets. This is not true at all. This is not why the transfer portal happened. He says, uh, like the transfer portal, every time somebody wanted to transfer, they'd apply for a waiver if the NCAA didn't give them a waiver so they could get immediately eligible they filed suit not true so the ncaa would back off and give them a waiver not true so they said we're going to make a rule that everybody can transfer that's how that happened and i and as andy points out that is absolutely not absolutely not how that happened not even close but he says so if the ncaa doesn't get some protection from litigation whether we get to get an antitrust exemption exemption or whether it is from a federal government standpoint this is not going to change because they cannot enforce their rules. Just like Nate, referring to Nate Oates, the Alabama basketball coach, said, we have a rule right now that says you cannot use name, image, likeness to entice a player to come to your school. Hell, read about it in the paper. I mean, Jackson State paid a guy a million dollars last year that was a really good Division One player to come to school. It was in the paper, and they bragged about it. Nobody did anything about it. 
I mean, these guys at Miami that are going to pay basketball players there $400,000, it's in the newspaper. That guy tells you how he's doing it, but the NCAA can't enforce the rules because it's not against the law. And that's an issue. That's a problem. And unless we get something that protects them from litigation, I don't know what we're going to do about it. All of that is not exactly true. There's there's some truth in that, but it's not exactly right. It's it's why the, the spring meetings actually are going to be fascinating. They always are more newsworthy than uh, the SEC football media days, in large part because at SEC football media days, the coaches come in, they're there for three or four hours, and then they're out. They're never all real together. They will cross paths with the ones that go on the same day. But, you know, if, if you're the coach, like if you're Lane Kiffin, for example, and he's coming in on Monday to SEC Media Days in Atlanta, he's only going to see the commissioner and the other, I guess in this case, three coaches, two coaches that are with him that day. He'll he'll cross paths with uh, Brian Kelly, the LSU coach, briefly, and he'll cross paths with Eli Drinkwitz, the Missouri coach, briefly. Not long enough to have much of a real conversation, but they'll they'll see each other. They'll have some pleasantries. And then, you know, but the guys that are coming in on Tuesday and Wednesday, they're they're not going to cross paths with Lane Kiffin or Brian Kelly or Eli Drinkwitz because those guys are going to go back to, to Oxford and, and Baton Rouge and Columbia, respectively. But at spring meetings, these guys are going to all be in the same room. Uh, when they take, you know, restroom breaks or water breaks, these guys are going to be mingling around. They're going to be – there's not going to be a whole lot of people uh, to distract them in, in those hours-long meetings and, and – these topics are going to come up and they're going to talk about them. And because I'm of the opinion, as Braden just said, that at some point the SEC has no choice but to create its own rules. It's totally different. To ex- you, you, you simply cannot legislate Texas A&M and Alabama and Auburn and LSU the same way that you legislate Toledo and Louisiana Monroe and North Texas. Just can't be done. And that's where we are. Um, all right. Uh, earlier today, Chase Parham, my colleague at rebelgrove.com and here at MPW, sat down with Ole Miss men's golf coach Chris Malloy. They talked about a number of things coming off of uh, a successful week in Norman, Oklahoma for uh, Ole Miss men's golf. So here's Chase and Chris Malloy on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Ole Miss men's, men's golf coach Chris Malloy now join us on the Raptors Music and Food Hotline. Chris, you got back in from uh, Oklahoma this week. Your team advancing to the national championships back in Arizona. You, uh, you've obviously seen that course with Corey and those people last year, and I don't know what else. I'll ask you what uh, from there. But getting back to it, we'll, we'll start here because I know you've had a, a couple of years, and we're not going to focus on the bad, but where you've been in pretty good position to get to the nationals. Some weird stuff has happened. You guys really blew it out in round three. They were running up the leaderboard. At what point did you finally calm down and went, hey, this thing's good, we're, we're awesome, or did it take the last ball in the cup? Yeah, I mean, you, you're, you're never really uh, overly you – know, you don't try to get ahead, ahead of yourself too much. Uh, as you mentioned, we've had some pretty pretty weird uh, things happen, you know, and um, I guess it was 2018 – um, you know, we were kind of free and, and clear and, and, uh, we had a player make a 10 or 11 on his 17th hole. Um, and then Kentucky made it holy, a guy hold it from the fairway from 150 yards. So, um, you know, ended up missing it. So, uh, and then the next year was, 
the, the infamous, you know, uh, Sarut hit a bird, you know, on his 16th hole. And that's right. And, yeah. So we've had some weird, weird things happen, but it also shows you how fine of a line uh, it is. So I, I don't know. I was kind of looking around in, in the sky to make sure there weren't a bunch of birds swarming or uh, any uh, weird things happening. But uh, it, you know, I made the comment to, to Austin as we were getting through it. I just said, I, I don't remember ever being in this stage, whether we were at Florida State and had a team that almost won a national championship, South Florida, you know, here when we had Braden, um, to ever being that stress-free for that last nine holes. It just, you know, normally doesn't happen like that. But, uh, you know, thank goodness it was. It was it, it was good that the guys were rolling. Well, you and I were talking before we started the show, and we, we, we've done a lot of these interviews where you've talked about, you know, the mental side of it, and you're trying to almost be psychologist as much as coach over the course of, of your tenure or over the course of a year. You guys had a pretty rough SEC tournament. What was the, the key? What did you kind of say to What was that period of time like to reset for this thing for the regional? Well, we, we really needed a reset. Um, I, I think rightfully so. Right? Uh, people forget we, we were ranked in the top 10 for mm-hmm. the large part of this year. And uh, anyone that, that asked me throughout the year um, you know, about our squad, I've said nothing other than I, I think we're really, really, really good. And I said that even after we blew a lead and you know, lost a chance to win at uh, the Hootie. Uh, in late March, uh, we didn't play very well down at uh, Mississippi State's event, and then we really didn't play well at uh, the SEC, you know the first round of the SEC championship. Uh, and it all boiled down to putting. We just we were putting it just terribly. Uh, and but even then, I mean, honestly, I was talking to Randy Watkins yesterday, and he, he was laughing. He goes, "You're right." I said, "About what?" He goes, "Man." Even through the you know the low times, uh, and I know I've told you you know this you this as well this spring that I really like this group and I and it's the most talented group that uh, you know I, I've been around and we've had some pretty good teams here but uh, this team was pretty special so uh, we really needed that reset and that's why I told them we got back from the SEC championship that normally I don't like that break you don't like going from your SEC championship and then taking you know basically a month off um, you know like twenty five days off before you get into the NCAA tournament, we needed it. And, uh, and it showed, and these guys got back. The first thing we did was we took six days and got away from it. Didn't play, took their clubs away from them, um, you know, reset mentally. And, and then they bounced back and kind of eased back into it. And, and uh, they were kind of like their, their old selves. You were one spot out after the first day, then had two really great days back to back, including in that day three when you rock it up. I think, you know, you ended up in second place for most of the day before Auburn, I guess, made a late birdie there uh, and clipped you moving back to third. But what was sort of the, what were the nights like? I mean, the guys stay confident those first two evenings. I mean, what'd you sort of say to them after round one? What was the, what was the vibe of everything as that was being played out over the course of the, the three days? Yeah, it was a little bit of a weird week. Um, you know, uh, Suber, hurt his wrist uh, before we, you know, left to go over there. So, you know, we were, we were at the doctor just kind of, you know, taking care of that. Then we get over there. Uh, we got out a couple of days early. Uh, it, we were playing on bent grass greens. Well, as you know, we don't have that uh, around here. So uh, we got out, uh, played uh, Oklahoma City Country Club, Gillardy, a couple of places over there just to get on some bent greens. Um, so the vibe was great. And then the day before the practice round, uh, Brett Shell, who was in our lineup, uh, woke up, felt terrible. Um, 
<laughs> we were just praying that it wasn't COVID, you know, took him to the uh, urgent care. He had strep and uh, he's, he's a pretty tough guy. And, and uh, it, it took him down. He, he never even made it out to the golf course, unfortunately for us until the second round of the tournament. So uh, Jack Nam steps in. Uh, Jack had not played around the golf for us, you know, since March. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of unknown. It changes everything. It changes, you know, who we're walking with, um, you know, our, our strategy of coaching. Um, but again, you know, thank goodness, you know, Jack stepped in and played, played great. Uh, we were not surprised. You know, he's been playing very good. But, uh, you know, the Knights were, were really good um, <laughs> after the first round. We played well in the first round. Um, you know, Evan Brown made a seven on his final hole today, the the ninth hole, just a little mental mistake and um, just a little bit of a weird ending to a day because uh, we had some momentum going. The other you know, weird part of our sport is, you know, so we started on the back nine each day um, and that was the harder nine holes. So we knew once we got through 17 um, that you could really get it going, which they did. And even the first day they got it going, we were fine, but, you know, shot ourselves in the foot, didn't capitalize on the eighth hole or 17th hole of the day, which is a, Pretty easy par five, uh, and then again didn't didn't play number nine extremely well. So again, you know, you just try to stay consistent and uh, you know wipe the slate clean, and 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 they they came out fine on day two. When you find out where you're headed, I know obviously the field matters because that's who you have to be. The grass matters, the course, all these different things. What did you know about the the course in Norman? I mean, had you guys been on it at all? I mean, you mentioned bent, but otherwise, I mean, how do you prepare for that if you're not aware of it? It's a great, great question, and uh, it was funny. Just you know, they're supposed to go. The NCAA committee is supposed to go on an S curve, really. You know, on your seatings and and uh, to even everything out. So as we were trying to analyze where we may get sent, I had a good idea, um, an educated guess, I guess it's the best way to put it, that we would go there or to Texas A and M. We had played Texas A and M before. Um, so I knew that golf course felt felt good about that. I had never been to Norman. So the day before the selection show, I actually left here got a 6 a.m. flight and flew over to uh, to Norman uh, for the day. Uh, oddly enough, yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I talked to the you know Oklahoma coach, but didn't realize the golf course is going to be closed. Luckily, the gates were open, got in there. Um, but I spent the day over there, you know, that Tuesday before the selection show and probably spent about six hours out on the golf course and, uh, took pictures, took videos, just, just sat out there and, uh, uh, tried to get a good look at it and, and get some good information back to, to our guys. But, but I immediately knew, you know, once I got out there, um, yes, the grass was a little bit different, you know, bent grass greens that does concern you, but the transition from Bermuda to bent really isn't that bad it's it's, it's a yeah. lot tougher from bent to bermuda um but again you know just you know at least we got a little bit of you know information on the course and we're able to sit down with our guys and you know so they knew what every tee shot looked like we had a picture we had a video we had yardages we had everything of what they were going to face so i think that probably helped us out a little bit uh but the golf course is great for us we have a great ball striking team uh, that's what that golf course is. The greens, you know, being out in Oklahoma, they, you know, with all the wind, they can't get them too fast and undulating. Um, and again, sure. that's kind of what we struggle with this year is, is putting and, and uh, a lot of the you know, longer lag, you know, putting. So 
again, that probably played to, to our advantage a little bit that the greens were a little bit small, you know, smaller and it, and it came down to ball striking. So you didn't take like clubs. You're not like hitting balls around the greens, but you're just like got yard. It's basically like a caddy prepping on steroids. I mean, it's anything you could think of over the course of those 18 holes. Anything you can think of. Yeah. You know, uh, again, we were fortunate. The, our women's team, Corey had gone, they were shipped out there probably four years ago. So she had a yardage book from when they went. Um, and I just, I took her yardage book and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and again, just every hole probably spent 30 minutes on every hole. And, and again, I, I, I think any little advantage you can get, especially a picture from the tee and these guys visualizing what that looked like. So when they got up in the practice round, um, you know, they go, okay, I've, I've kind of seen, yeah, this, seen this, um, and they can compare it. They, you know, we had our yardage books, uh, when we went over it, so they knew what, what was out in front of them. Um, but again, I mean, any, as a coach, you're just looking for any small sense of comfort. Um, and again, that's why we got out there a couple of days early. We played three different golf courses uh, that were there that were, you know, great hosts for us and, and got on those bent greens. I know you said you could kind of figure it out and you predict it with the S curve, but the NCAA has done some weird stuff from time to time. You get sent to New Haven and that was one wasted freaking day. I mean, just yeah. just a wasted day. At that it, don't don't think that didn't cross my mind as I was <laughs> literally on like a seven o'clock flight. I got back, I landed back in Memphis. Yeah. I, so I, I had a six a.m. flight. I landed in Memphis at midnight, and on that drive back, you know, from from Memphis Airport to you know to my house. Don't think that didn't cross my mind. And you're right. I mean, like last year, there was no reason that we should have been in Stillwater, mm-hmm. uh, let alone the seed that we got there. Um, so weird stuff, you know, certainly does happen, but that was okay. I mean, you know, a lot of the other golf courses, New Haven, I, you know, we would have been a little bit of a fish out of, out of water, uh, Stockton, you know, we would have, but PJ national, you know, has, we, c- a couple of those other ones, we had, we had a little sense of comfort. So talk about a couple of guys real quick. Jackson obviously wins the individual gets medalist honors for the, uh, for the, for the regional, has been just kind of your rock since he got on campus. Frankly, he's been he's been that kind of guy. I know people try to compare him to Brighton. Forget that. Let's talk about him and different things. What is it that, that's made him so good during his tenure with you? Yeah, they're they're totally, really polar opposite players. Yeah. Um, you know, Jackson is really relies on ball striking. Um, he uh, he bombs it off the tee. Uh, I mean, again, he's he's just rock solid. He's, he's been great. Um, you know, and, and once he gets some, some comfort, you know, on the greens, which he does, he did this week, uh, he switched up putters, um, you know, a few weeks back, uh, I believe going into SECs, um, started to put it a little bit better, get a little bit of confidence. He's, he's going to be really, really tough to beat. There are a lot of other names that were there in college golf, um, that uh, I, I think that probably gave him a little extra motivation mm-hmm. as well. But, uh, you know, he, he showed he's, he's as good as anybody in college golf when, when he's on his game. You, you, as you mentioned, you've told me you like this team since really the fall last summer when you started putting your roster together. You knew you had some guys coming back. You knew you had Jackson at the top. You pick up Evan Brown out of the transfer portal. What's, what, what, I guess two parts. What's, what's he meant to the program? And then two, You've got another guy coming in from Boise. You've been able to kind of attack the portal a little bit. What is sort of the the reputation or what kind of feeling do you get just from a portal standpoint for Ole Miss men's golf right now when you go out and, and, and try to bring guys in? We're Ole Miss. We're the portal kings, right? Yeah, right. right there you go. So, uh, no, I, Evan, Evan's been unbelievable for us. And I, 
I really, I liked our team last year. I thought we were probably uh, one player short at times, you know, in, in depth. Um, but our good was really, really good. Our bad wasn't good enough. Um, so adding Evan was just another, you know, rock and, and, a, and a really, really solid player, a mature player. Um, you know, the, probably the understated guy, you know, we had, we redshirted Kai Meeks last year. So he's, you know, freshman this year. Uh, he could have played for us. He could have been in the lineup last year uh, once we got into the spring, but we knew he was going to be here five years. Um, and, and really, I just struggled a lot with saying, okay, you know, I know I want to put him in the lineup right now. And I wanted him to kind of take his lumps and get that experience last year. But I knew I'd be kicking myself four years down the road. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're finishing out school, had that extra year of eligibility <laughs> and we didn't have them. I thought, so, you know, as a coach, you just try to compare Kai Meeks, you know, first year to Kai Meeks fifth year, which one do you want, right? Which one do you want to you know take advantage of? And uh, you know, so we had to stay a little bit patient with him, um, you know, there last year. So adding him into the fold and he's just now getting, you know, coming into his own. He had some big rounds of golf for us really at SECs and then, you know, down at Old Waverly, he's really progressing and 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 uh, showing what kind of player he's going to uh, to be. But I, I'd say those two additions with with Evan Brown and then you know adding Kai into the to the lineup is has helped us a lot. So you leave on Tuesday, you headed back out to Arizona. Um, got to, I mean, as you and I were talking about, just make the tournament and see what happens. It's the kind of way it works for any sport, but especially golf, where one guy can change things in a positive or negative thing for any single team. But you know you've got you've got a deep lineup. You've got consistent guys. You've got a veteran team. You've got a star and super. You've got some different things to to make a bit of a run. What do you? What can you take from your time out there with Corey last year? Just that course. Have you been out there much? Does that is it sort of set up the same way at all for men and women? What is what, what is kind of awaiting you guys in Arizona next week? Yeah, I, I mean there there are a lot of things that help. Um, you know, what, I've been on that golf course quite a few times. They used to uh, host a, a really big junior tournament there. Um, so I've, I've logged a lot of rounds of, of watching out there. Um, some of our guys have, have played it. It's, it, it's just a different style of golf. That's why we're going to get out there on Tuesday, um, play a couple of different, you know, desert golf courses, uh, to get used to that. You have to get used to, you know, to, to how far the ball is going to travel. It will be different. Um, you know, it'll be Bermuda, it'll be some overseed so that the, the type of grass is fine you know that that's not going to be that big of a, a transition for us it's again yeah I think in the the big you know most of the country you step up you know here for example um you have tree line golf courses you have targets that are off the tee um it's a lot easier for you know a hold to kind of frame in your mind uh, out there it's a different ball game um it's going to be wide open there are no once that golf ball goes goes offline, you know the the you know the only thing that's going to stop it is a cactus. Um, and uh, and usually by the time the cactus stops, it's a little bit too. <laughs> it's in the desert. It's too far, so uh, it'll require a lot of discipline. Um, you know, but, but again, I, I think a lot of the, a lot of different teams are going to uh, have to figure out that transition. You know, Arizona State's going to have an advantage, um, and uh, it's, it's again different style of golf, but. These guys will be fine, and again, that, that's the whole point of of getting out there just uh, just a little bit earlier. Uh, as far as the, you know, the way the men, the women play it, yeah, I mean, it's it's two different styles of golf. Sure. And at the end of the day, it is golf, you know. And, and, mm -hmm. 
and the greens uh, with the greens, the air around the greens are the same. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Correct. So yeah, guys just have a tendency to try to overpower golf courses. Uh, girls are usually a lot smarter than than that, <laughs> and think you know they're a little more methodical and think their way around. And uh, so again, it's not going to be a golf course you can overpower. Our guys have to kind of settle into that and understand that and have some comfort in that. Have you played five rounds of golf in the last five years yourself? You're not. You're, 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 it's like it's, it's what's funny about you. People go, "Hey, yeah, he plays a lot of golf." I was like, dude, he never picks a club up. I don't feel like. I played uh, my last. Uh, I played with some friends about a month ago. I played eighteen okay. holes, and my last round of golf, uh, Zach and I play in the four ball at the country. That's club. right. I think yeah, that was yeah, yeah. August twentieth. Um, yeah, that was my last round of golf. So I'd say, yeah. Listen, COVID was different. Like I was talking to Kermit last night. We were okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We were, you know, like we played a lot. Well, I say a lot. I forgot about that. Y'all had like the little weekly game going for a little while there. Oh, That's yeah. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was ugly. It was bad. Yeah. It was. It was good. It was bad on our friendship at times. But uh, no, we we had a blast. But we were playing. I mean, probably twice a week. I mean, you know, sometimes three times a week. But I would say, Chase, it. In 2022, I will end up logging about five rounds of golf. Yeah. Do you even take your clubs on trips? <laughs> no, absolutely okay. not. No. Okay. I, yeah. So we're going to play some pretty, you know, we're going to get out uh, to to Scottsdale and uh, on Tuesday and we're going to play Whisper Rock, which is great. And yeah, that's sure. what my friends last night were saying. I mean, so you're going to play. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to watch good players play. And, and uh, so no, you know, once we get in the summer, you know, my little son, Cash, uh, he's seven. He's he's He loves golf. So I'm sure that will change. I'm sure with him I'll start playing a lot more, you know, once, you know, once he's able to get out there. But, uh, yeah, as, as of now, no, I'm I'm more into watching and coaching. And, you know, I mean, here's the thing. Once I get out on the golf course, I mean, it's four hours. And with my personality and I, I just – I'm thinking that I – I need to be on the phone with the recruits. I need yeah, to be yeah, doing yeah. There's something else I need to be doing, especially during the season. So uh, it, it's kind of a lost cause for me. We had a couple of posts on the board about this. You didn't really, when I wanted to talk to you, I didn't really want to do a fundraising thing, but people who do want to join support groups, help out, whatever, what can people do to help men's golf at Ole Miss? Great question. Yeah. And so, you know, we started the back nine club um, a few years back and that's on our foundation website uh, the, you know, that's one with the, you know, swinging Tony logo on it. And, um, it, it, it's been pretty popular, but, but stuff like that, you know, helps our guys and, and hopefully in return, you know, our supporters, you know, can get a golf you know team bag or, you know, get your, know, depending on what level, uh, they donate, you know, they had a little bit of, you know, swag, um, you know, in return. So, you know, we're hoping that continues, you know, to grow. Uh, we are trying to grow it as, as we speak. So just get to match play. That's the best the goal. We tell these guys, just get in the top eight and see what happens, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you listen, you got to get out there and be loose. Um, I think you saw that with our girls last year. Yeah. I mean, that that just – that stood out to me, and I think it stood out to a lot of our fans. Uh, everyone else gets tight this time of year, and, and our guys did a tremendous job of it. You listen, last week's the toughest week of the year. It is. I mean, it's when weird stuff happens, when you hit birds. Yeah, you know, people, yeah. you know, whole late, like just – everyone's a little bit tense and, and your goal as a coach last week, you got to be loose. If, if you were just a little bit looser and more free than every other team out there, you're going to have an advantage. And the same thing goes for this week. You know, you get out there and, 
And, uh, you know, you can sit there and say that, you know, with our guys, you know, Hey, you're playing on house, you know, house money. I, I don't think that's true. It's not, you know, again, it goes back to what I told you. I mean, this team was ranked in the top 10 for a lot of the year and we're really good. You know, we're, you know this isn't, you know, we're it, gonna, kind of, it, it minimizes in a way when you say house money, doesn't it? Like almost takes it off where they go, Oh no, we don't need that extra push. Yeah, it makes it okay to finish 12th. Yeah. And like they're, that they're fortunate to be here or whatever. No, this is yeah. expected. Right. And, and, you know, you know, when we're packing up our suitcases, we're not packing to go to the first <laughs> to stay there for three days. And I sent that message uh, to our guys this morning in a text, like m- make sure you're packing for seven days in the desert. And, mm-hmm. and that's the, that's the truth is you have to expect to be there. And these guys do. I fully I told you, I told anyone that would listen, even after our SEC championship, we didn't play very well. Um, like I expected to be here. I expect to be at Greyhawk next week. I expect to be, uh, you know, getting into match play and and going from there. I, I fully do. And I know our guys do as well. So we'll see what happens. You know, golf, golf is weird. Well, leaving Tuesday, have a safe trip. Let's, uh, let's do it again when you get back. I appreciate it, bud. You're the man. Thanks. Howdy, toddy. That was Chris Malloy, the Ole Miss golf coach with uh, Chase Parham. So that, does it for uh, today's show. Don't forget, we'll have coverage at rebelgrove.com. Of, uh, I've got a couple of kind of recruiting stories that I'm working on. I know Chase has Ole Miss baseball coverage up as well. Ole Miss and Texas A&M tonight at 7. Uh, the game moved back 30 minutes because of Oxford High School graduation. Congratulations to all the graduates out there, not only at OHS, but at all the high schools around. Um, for all the guys, the guys and girls that are graduating, I was talking to Preston Cushman the other day. He graduates on Sunday, hoping to get that story to you guys by some point this weekend before he and a bunch of guys show up, um, to start their Ole Miss careers in, um, about 10 days or so into the month, first of next month, they'll get rolling. So the off season program will be going uh, full speed ahead at that point. So again, thanks to, uh, Brayden Gall. Thanks to Chris Malloy. Thanks to everybody in the thread. We will uh, make this the Friday Oxford Exxon podcast, try to get that to you here as quickly as possible today. And then we'll be back on Monday with another episode of the Oxford Exxon podcast. Until then, have a great weekend. Talk to you guys soon.